we're turning now to 1 John and the end of chapter 2 and into chapter 3. If you've been with us as a church for the last few weeks, you'll know we're going through the book of 1 John together and we are finding God speaking to us about so many core truths uh, of the gospel and for what it means for us as Christians to live as Christians in a world like this. Today we're going to be considering what it means to be a child of God. What does it mean for us to be God's children? Now, if I can just be really honest with you, in my preparation for this sermon, um, you spend a lot of time when you're preparing a sermon, drilling into the passage, praying, thinking it through, asking God, what do you want to say through this text? But honestly, as I've been preparing this sermon for today, I found God speaking to me personally about this truth in a very powerful way. Because as we think about what it means to be children of God, we're really dealing with the very deepest, most profound truth for us as individuals. We're dealing with our core identity because it's so precious and because it's so fundamental. It's also the place where the evil one has a great big fat bullseye. It's where he fires his darts. It's where he wants to attack you most, your identity as a child of God. He will want you to doubt it. He will want to undermine it in your life. And so oftentimes we feel vulnerable as Christians. We, we ask the question, am I really God's child? Am I really adopted into his family? Am I really a Christian? And those kinds of questions can come when we are receiving, if you like, attacks from the evil one. And that's exactly what he did with Jesus. When Jesus was in the wilderness, he came to him and says, if you are the son of God. I don't know if you recall the evil one saying that to him. And when he was on the cross, if you are the son of God, you'll come down from there. He's attacking his identity. Are you really the son of God? And and in the same way, he, he does that to us. Now, you need to take heart when that happens, because if you weren't really a son of God or a child of God, why would he bother to tempt you to doubt it in the first place? So that's worth thinking about. So we're going to be looking at being God's children today. And I hope for you, you find you're as moved by this truth as I have been, and that you'll be strengthened to know you are a precious loved child of God as we look at this together. So I'm going to read from verse 28 of chapter 2 to verse 10 of chapter 3, and this is in the CSB version. So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. 
you know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. Okay, why don't we just pray and prepare our hearts as we go through this passage together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you call us your children. What amazing truth that is. And I pray as we go through this passage together, would you confirm it in our hearts? Would you strengthen our identity as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, and I pray for those who don't even know what that means, that you'd speak to them today, that you would add to your family. I ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at three standout features of God's children from this passage, and they are these. Firstly, God's children know the Father's love. Secondly, God's children will be like Jesus. And thirdly, God's children want to be like Jesus now. So those are the three things we'll be looking at together. So firstly, God's children know the Father's love. This is what we saw right at the beginning of the passage. John says, so now, little children. And then he goes on to say, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. In fact, I have a few issues with this translation. I have to be honest with you. Um, the NIV puts this verse much better. The NIV says this, how great is the how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be children of God. And there is the sense that John in writing these verses is trying to express just bewilderment and wonder and astonishment at the love that we've received from God. He's like, this is amazing. This love is absolutely out of this world amazing. In fact, that's actually quite literally what is meant by the Greek phrase he uses here. It's an otherworldly love. It's a love from outside of this world which has come in and has invaded us. How amazing it is that we should be called God's children. He's amazed by this. And you'll notice that throughout the letter, John repeatedly refers to those who are receiving this letter as children or as little children. He doesn't speak to them and say, you who are Christians or you who are saints or you who are fellow workers in the Lord, phrases which we see elsewhere in the Bible, John chooses to say little children. 
he's wanting this truth to be drummed into them. He's wanting them to be frequently hearing who they are and how they are loved by God himself. And he wants them to know that this love is lavish. It is abundant. There's no limit to it. I love that word lavish. If someone says to you, I want you to come over to my house for a lavish meal, you know it's going to be good. Or think of all the rain we've been having recently. If you've been down to the River Itchen over the last few days or the last week, uh, during all of the rain, you'd have seen it just, it's a furious river, isn't it? As the water just keeps coming. And you look at anything, there's a lavish flowing of the water. That's how the Father's love towards you is. It's lavish. There is no limit to it. And the fact that John keeps speaking these words over us is as well very important. I want you to think of this. One of the wonderful things about being a parent is when you have this little baby and you start speaking to this baby. The baby has no idea what you're saying. The baby can't comprehend a word that you're saying. But that doesn't stop you from telling the baby how precious they are, how much you love them, how important they are to you. You take hold of your baby, you squeeze your baby, and you speak truth over them. You speak their name to them all the time. You're speaking the name. And one of the greatest thrills as a parent is when your child, your baby, turns their, their round, flabby face towards you and hears their name and responds for the first time. That's just one of the best moments when you know that your child now knows their name and is able to respond to it. It's amazing. Now, here's the thing that I want you to know. Your father in heaven has been speaking truth over you long before you are able to comprehend it. Speaking over you, his love, speaking over you, his gospel invitation, come to me come to me. I want you. I want you to be my child. I want you to, to know my love. And don't doubt for a moment that the first time you responded to his voice, the first time, as it were, you heard him speak your name, the first time you were born of God, that his heart didn't jump for joy, that he wasn't equally as elated when you responded to his love for the first time, the moment where you know you really heard him speak to you. And that's what happens when we become Christians. It's that we receive the love of God into our hearts and we get, as it were, adopted into his family and we hear the Father speak over us, this is my son, this is my daughter, I love them. They are beloved and they are precious to me. This is the reality that God the Holy Spirit pours into our hearts. It says this in Romans 5 verse 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Do you know there's, there's, there's an actual experience of this love for us to have? It's... It's quite possible as a Christian to, to go through each day knowing that God loves you, knowing that 
God is your father, knowing that you are his child, it's, it's, it's like the difference, um, and I think it's C.S. Lewis who, who, who says this, it's like the difference in terms of what the Holy Spirit comes to do from a child walking along a street side by side with his father. He knows his father's there, he's holding his hand, he's walking with his father. He knows this is my dad and I am his son, I'm his child, and they're walking along together. And there's a difference between knowing the love like that and then knowing the same love of the father when he picks the child up, squeezes the child and says, I love you. That sense of intimacy and closeness and an experience of love, a felt experience of that big bear hug. Now, when the Holy Spirit pours the lavish love of God upon you as his child, I think it's a bit like that. Now, you might, th might think, I know God loves me. I know I'm his child, but I'm not sure I, I quite know that embrace. And I pray that you'd know something of that today. I'd encourage you to ask to receive something of that love today. Ask the Father to pour the Holy Spirit upon you that you would know this precious, deep, lavish love. Hey, it's your privilege as a child of God to know this. And Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. And he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven want to give you the Holy Spirit? The implication, of course, is there's nothing greater you can ask for from God than for his Holy Spirit. Do you know that? You, you might have lots of things you'd love God to do, but there's nothing greater you can ask of him than for his Holy Spirit. And there's nothing he wants to give you more than his Holy Spirit. So let me urge you, ask for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit into your heart today. And if you've never, if you have no idea what I'm going on about, I'd ask you to ask as well, to believe for yourself that you can know God today as your father, that you can know him personally and know him speaking these words over you, that you're his child. The Spirit himself, it says in Romans 8, testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. One of the things the Holy Spirit also does to us is not only pours God's love into us, but he testifies to us. He speaks to us. He says to us, you are my child. So just as I was earlier bringing before you the picture of the parent with the child in arms speaking words over them, in the same way, I think Paul would have us understand that the Holy Spirit speaks to us in the depths of our being that we are his children. He wants you to know that. John wants you to know that. Hence why he keeps using this phrase, little children, children, children. You just see it throughout the whole letter. Isn't that encouraging for us to know? So that's the first point. God's children know the Father's love. Secondly, God's children will be like Jesus. God's children will be like Jesus. So it's, it's amazing how he speaks about the second coming of Jesus. It says in verse 28, Now little children remain in him, that is in Jesus, so that when he appears, we may have confidence 
and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Since he's saying enjoy him, remain in him, enjoy his love, so that when he comes and you know he's coming, you're not going to feel really awkward because you've not been enjoying him. You've been enjoying the things of the world. He's saying remain in his love so that that moment doesn't catch you out. And then he goes on to say this. Um, Dear friends, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Do you know the early church eagerly anticipated the second coming of Jesus Christ, knew that this was going to happen, knew there was coming a day when Jesus was going to appear, longed for that day. How much more so should we long for that day and anticipate it now that we're 2,000 years nearer to it than they were then? But John is teaching teaching the Christians here, look, you, you're a child of God now, but the world doesn't recognize that. It doesn't see what you know to be true, but one day they will. And that day is going to be a brilliant day. It's a day when you're going to be like Jesus. And the reason you're going to be like Jesus is because you're going to see him. Now, I don't want you to miss the significance of this. There's a sense in which the Bible attests to the fact that there is no higher or greater or ultimate experience you and I could ever have than the experience of seeing the face of Jesus Christ. You, I'd go so far as to say this, you have been created so that one day you might see Jesus in his glory. You're made for that moment. There's something in us which is puzzled by that. And it's hard for us to fully grasp it. But what we do know is that we enjoy feeling good. We do know that we get moved by a beautiful panoramic scene. We're moved by song and by poetry. We, we love to have happy, thrilling moments. There's something in us that seeks pleasure. In a sense, we're all hedonists. We're all pursuing pleasure. The question is, in what are you pursuing pleasure? Now, the world would say, look to the created things for your ultimate pleasure. But what John is saying here is actually the ultimate pleasure is found in Jesus. And the ultimate pleasure found in Jesus is when we see his face. And that is a sure and certain moment in our future for us to long for there's a there's a great old hymn which says this fair are the meadows fairer still the woodlands robed in the blooming garb of spring jesus is fairer jesus is purer who makes the woeful heart to sing fair is the sunshine fairer still the moonlight and all the twinkling starry host. But Jesus shines brighter, Jesus shines purer than all the angels of heaven can boast. He's saying the same thing. When you're moved, as we are at the moment, these beautiful autumn evening colours, as the sun is setting and shining, the golden yellows and reds and beautiful, colourful um, autumn leaves, and and you're moved by it, 
in a sense he's saying, yeah, those things are great, but he's even more glorious. Those things are spectacular, but he's even more stunning. You are made to enjoy what is beautiful and wonderful and glorious. And that is ultimately not the created, but the creator himself. And where you and I try and find that fulfillment in what's been created, we're always going to be left feeling like it doesn't quite scratch where we itch. It doesn't quite satisfy the way we hope it will. John Piper famously said this. He said, he, God, is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. If you want to be God to be glorified in your life, and be satisfied enjoy him delight yourself in him you know you and i have been made to glorify god and enjoy him forever and there's a moment where he's going to appear where he's going to return and you're going to see him and you're going to behold his face it says in revelation 22 they that is the redeemed the children of god will see his face and that is the pinnacle moment of our existence where we get to bask in his glory and bask in his perfection and enjoy him together. Not only in that moment will we see him in his glorious, beautiful apparel and appearance before us, but it says we will be like him. In that moment of seeing him, we are simultaneously transformed to be absolutely like him which means to be free from all disappointments to be free from all pain to be free from all hurt to be free from all that blights and bothers us to be free to just enjoy our sonship to enjoy being the beloved sons and daughters of our heavenly father to be like the son, to be like Jesus, is to be fully free, to be, a, to be a child of God. I can't wait for that moment. I can't wait when all the conflict that I have to deal with in my life, or my own selfishness of, of being tripped up, um, I can't wait to be free of all distractions and to be fully able to enjoy God. We have that in our future. And here's the stunning reality of what it means to see Jesus, is that just to see him is enough to be forever changed, to be like him. What must he be like? What must this glory of Jesus Christ be like that it changes me forever, eternally? That's what's going to happen for us. That is what he is promising to us little children that is your future that's what jesus suffered the agonies of the cross for you and i to have that's what kept him on the cross where he could have in a moment given the power he had of stepped down if you are the son of god come down from there because he was the son of god he stayed there so that you and i might be also sons of God so that you and I might have this moment where we get to enjoy him 
and see him perfectly. What a great thing we have to look forward to in our future together. So we get to see him, we get to be like him. And the third thing is this, God's children want to be like Jesus now. They want to be like Jesus now. Let's just look again at these verses. You may have found them slightly chilling as I read them earlier on. They're quite provocative and they need explaining. So verse seven, children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's work. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin, because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin, because he's been born of God. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hang on a second, I do sin. And I thought John said that if we say we don't sin and we don't have sin, that we're deceiving ourselves. So what's going on here? Well, here's where I'm a little bit frustrated with this translation. If you've got a CSB Bible like I have, you'll have a little annotation, a little footnote, which says instead of does not sin, it says does not practice sin or is not um, making a practice of sin. Here's the point which John's making. If you are born of God, if you're a child of God, you don't practice sin like you'd practice an instrument. You don't, you don't give yourself to it. You don't make it your standard default experience. You're resisting sin. You're fighting sin. You're wanting to kill sin. And when you sin, you're not reveling in it. You, you find it hurts you, it bruises you. you. You feel the disappointment and the shame and you have to go to God with that, who lifts all of that from you. But you don't love sin. If you're a child of God, you hate sin. Yes, you do still sin. We still have this fallen body. We still have um, the flesh, the fleshly desires which we wage war against. As we've already seen in this book, we don't make a practice of it. We make a practice of doing right things, is how he puts it here. We make a practice of righteousness. Now, I said in this, God's children want to be like Jesus now. And, and I use that word want intentionally. Your wants are your, are your desires. You want to do um, God's will. That's, that's the default now for God's children is that you want to do his will. And the devil would say, would twist this and would say to you, you sin. You, you, you are a sinner, so you therefore can't be a child of God. Look what it says here. Somehow that in order to be a child of God, I need to not sin. No, that's, that's just not the gospel. The gospel says you're powerless to do anything about your sin. You can't, you're dead in it. Dead bodies don't have much to offer. But we've been made alive, it says in Ephesians 2. We were dead in our sins, but we've been made alive. We've been born. We're now his children. We now hear his voice. We respond to his voice. We, we love his voice. That's changed in us. 
And so therefore our whole relationship with sin changes. The devil practices sin, the devil loves sin. The devil doesn't want to be like Jesus, but you do if you're a child of God. You want to be like him and you wanna be like him now. One day you will be perfectly like him, but already that work is beginning as, as God is preparing you and working through your life to increasingly, progressively make you more like Jesus. You're being conformed into the image of his son. It says in Romans 8. So there's a great test. Where, where is your heart? Where are your wants? Don't allow the devil to fire those arrows. You've got to take hold of the shield of faith and protect yourself from those doubts. You've got to fend them off. Don't let them hit you. You're a child of God. If you have put your faith in Jesus and you know his love, we love him because he first loved us. Our love for him is a response to his love for us. Remember, he was speaking over you long before you were able to register his words. Now you've responded to him and now he's changing you. We will be like him, but we want to be like him now. And we don't do this by law. It's by grace, which is God's gift. There's a brilliant old quote which is attributed to John Bunyan we don't know for sure who said it but it's just so helpfully captures this point which I'm making run John run the law commands but gives us neither feet nor hands far better news the gospel brings it bids us fly and gives us wings I love that the law says be perfect and you can't the gospel of grace says, be like Jesus. It takes it even higher and gives us the power to be like him by the Holy Spirit. Now that is a two-way relationship. I can't save myself, God reaches down and saves me. But the becoming like Jesus, I have a hand in that process. I have to work alongside the Holy Spirit. So that I, we purify ourselves, it says here in John. You purify yourself with the power of the Holy Spirit helping you. So it's not done purely in my strength. But I do have to resist sin and temptation. And when those opportunities come along to do what the devil wants me to do, I have a decision to make and that moment of decision is going to hurt sometimes. It's going to mean swallowing my pride. It's going to be denying my flesh. It's going to mean saying no. And that's not an easy decision to make. And you need God's help, but you've got to make that decision because you're living for something better. Because you've tasted of the goodness of God and you know nothing is as good as him. Because, you know, to live obediently is how Jesus lived. And no one actually lived a happier life than Jesus did. The devil wants you actually to be depressed in your darkness. Jesus wants you to live happily in his light. You've got to understand that that is the heart of God towards you. That you would live in freedom in the light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ. You're never going to be free until you know you're loved by the Father in heaven. And when you know his love and when you hear his voice speaking his love into your heart, it makes you very secure as a person. You're able to deal with all kinds of challenges and rejections and failures because you know in him 
you're eternally secure and safe and eternally loved. One of the greatest evidences that this is happening in our community is that we love one another, it says here in verse 10. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. In other words, the flip side of that is, you know you're a child of God when you're loving one another. We're called to love one another as brothers and sisters. This is a family we've been brought into. So uh, let me urge you, allow what God is doing in your heart, demonstrate itself, manifest itself in how you love one another. At this time, it's difficult, isn't it? We're not gathered together. We can't just go and put our arm round our brother or our sister and tell them we love them in the way we've been used to. But you're able to send messages, you're able to pick up the phone, you're able to send a card, you're able to do practical things to show that you love others. You're able to pray as we're praying at the moment as a church for various members of our church family. We're committed to that because we love one another. Okay, why don't we finish by praying? Father, I want to thank you so much for this truth, that we are your little children, and we'll always be your little children. There's a humility in that, but there's a great security in that too. I pray would you speak words of love over us today. I pray would we know the Holy Spirit pouring your love into our hearts. I pray would we enjoy the freedom that we receive as your sons and as your daughters. Thank you for that great and glorious moment when we'll see your face. Can't wait for that day. In the meantime, Holy Spirit, help us to grow ever increasingly from one degree of glory to the next, to be more like our precious Lord Jesus. And we ask this in his name and for his glory. Amen.